The Crux of the Matter, Episode 44, Advent and Pastoral Care. show by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hey, Scott. How are you today? It's another gorgeous day another here in paradise. Day. Yeah. Yep. I see, I see from our uh, Skype conversation here that you're wearing a sweater vest. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, It was a uh, balmy 33 this morning when I, uh, uh-huh. when I got up. So a little bit chilly here, at least by... Uh, by Northern California standards, but uh, still lovely, clear day. We've been getting a little bit of rain, which has been good too. Yeah, we got some rain last night and um, yeah, it's cool. I didn't check the temp, but I don't think it was quite that low, at least not when I was outside earlier, hmm. um, but it was a little cool. I needed to wear um, a heavier shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The crosses that we bear here yeah, right, in right. the uh, golden state, I guess. Sometimes you wear a light shirt. Sometimes you have to wear a heavy shirt. A heavy shirt, exactly. Mm-hmm. Two-ply, as it were. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, uh, I had a fun conversation this morning in Bible class that I thought would be worth worth mentioning in our uh, What Are We Teaching section. Uh, yeah. We've been doing going through Genesis, and we're at Genesis 8 now, and, and in Genesis 8 is... You get the whole section about when uh, uh, when the waters recede and Noah lifts the covering off the ark, which in itself is sort of an interesting side note. Is this like a uh, you know like a hatchback or something? I don't know. It's a retractable um, roof, right? A retractable roof. That that is actually what I was thinking. Is this sort of like a sports stadium where the mm-hmm. you know you press a button? Probably not. Um, but what the conversation was on, which I thought was quite interesting, was was really more on the question of the immutability of God. And that is at the beginning, at the beginning of this narrative in Genesis 6, you have God uh, grieving that he has made man. And in here in Genesis 8, you have God saying that uh, that he will never again uh, do this, you know, this kind of universal destructive flood sort of thing. Um, and and so the the rabbit hole was, does God change his mind? Does God uh, and and really even does God change? And of course you know that uh, that there are numerous places where you get the language of God God repenting, which mm-hmm. which really just means change, uh, and and sort of thinking about Abraham and Lot and you know Moses pleading with God, all of these sort of priestly uh, priestly character things that you get in many of the patriarchs but uh, how do you answer that question of does God does God change and if he does okay so why doesn't he change his mind again <laughs> and and if he doesn't why pray <laughs> that was sort of the that was sort of the gist of the conversation so that was uh, that was my early morning talk today. Yeah, that's kind of rough for early morning. It is. <laughs> uh, it's I had nearly enough coffee to tackle tackle that. Right, right. That's very philosophical. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's part of the mystery of God. Yeah. You know, I, ultimately, I think we have to just sort of say, you know what? Um, it's hard to be, uh, you know, so thoroughgoingly consistent because we're talking about an infinite being that transcends our ability to understand. Right. And so there might be aspects to him that 
seem emotional or seem, uh, you know, malleable, like he's, you know, right. I mean, if God changed his mind, maybe he'll change his mind and decide to destroy the world again with a flood. Um, but at the same time, you know, we know that scripture teaches that he's the same yesterday, today and forever. And um, if God were so easily changeable then or changeable at all, then it would be hard to have ultimate faith in him. And a, and a part of it, too, is for me thinking about you can't make a narrative into a systematic theology. This is telling a story, true story, mind you. That's why I you know, call it a narrative. This is an episode. But – but the purpose of this story, of this narrative, is not to answer every sort of random question that we may have about God. That's that's not its purpose. So I don't know. That's uh, and and I think that that is an underlying question that you get a lot when you come, when you end up talking about prayer. That's for yeah. sure. Oh yeah. Right. Now, why bother? Essentially, if, if anyone thinks about it very hard, yeah, that's, right. That comes up for sure. Right. right. Well, like like I was saying before, I think we just have to um, bow down and worship the mystery that is God. There, there are things that don't don't that are difficult for us to understand, and maybe we never will understand. Right. Right. And that may be okay. I yeah. mean, right. I, I expect I don't have to know everything, and mm -hmm. uh, the world won't end as a result of it. Mm -hmm. So, so what are you teaching or what are you getting ready to teach? I know you're on break this this week as we record at least. Yeah, I'm on break, Thanksgiving break, so I'm not teaching at the present. But um, next Monday, um, I will be teaching for my bioethics course for the nursing students here on transhumanism. I'm going to introduce the concept of uh, humanity plus or, you know, what does it mean to – uh, pursue technological enhancements of the human body and human right. function, and um, you know what are the watch clips of the bionic man? Maybe, yeah, yeah, I could. There's plenty. You know, I mean, science oh, yeah. fiction is full of stuff like this, um, right? You know how to, and you know, it always. I always raise the question of. Um, you know, but what are, uh, you know, what are binoculars or eyeglasses or someone wearing shoes rather than being barefoot? Are, these are technological enhancements that improve right. our functionality. But right. I think it's different when they become part of our body and they become part of us. I mean, you know, okay, then there's, then there's the um, artificial hip and, and things like that. But um, it's different also when you're just trying to restore normal function as opposed to trying to have increased function or right. superhuman function. function in some way. Right. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about that and, and the direction that medicine is going and as technologies become available, they will be used. You know, if we can enhance memory to uh, prevent or to stave off the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease, maybe we can enhance the memory of everyone. And wouldn't it be nice if Todd, you could have total recall and, and uh, right. search the internet without having to use a computer, you know, just by using your thoughts, right? Um, there's there's some real appeal there, and I think that people will will probably pursue these things, and they're not. Some of them are not as far off as we might think. Yeah, I think that's true. And and what does it mean for something to be a part of you? Is yeah. a contact lens a part of you? Right. <laughs> well, right. You know, it's certainly closer to being a part of you than a pair of glasses. 
Yeah. But that's not the same as a cornea transplant. <laughs> no, no. And, 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 you know, and especially if we were to give you the cornea of an eagle or something that would, you know, if we could, you know, if I could give you, if I could give you vision that would be far surpassed in human capacity, what would that, what would that say about human nature? Wouldn't it be advantageous for our fighter pilots to have superhuman sight? And, you sure. know, there's so many, there's so many. And what I, one of the points I'll bring up is a lot of the applications can be militarized mm-hmm. and that's always something to be aware of who's funding the research. And you'll find out that a lot of these things are funded by the department of defense or the government with particip- you know, potential uses that may not necessarily be just benign. Right. Right. <clears throat> the Iron Man syndrome or something. Yeah. Along those yeah. Lines. Right. Right. I mean, if we could if we could enhance your ability to, uh, you know, if, if, if by using steroids, I can make you stronger. But if I could do this in a way that didn't cause your heart to explode, um, then, you know, maybe that would be something we'd want to do for our, our military. You know, I mean, so there's just right. lots of ethical questions that come up and. And, um, you know, philosophical questions about what does it mean to be a human being and how, how are we, how is our body given to us by God? And, and can we just simply manipulate our physical selves for any purpose at all? These are all kind of intriguing questions. It's future, futuristic, but it's also very relevant. Yeah. Well, and, um, I, I, you're right, of course, that there are just so many places where that comes out. This is in the consciousness of our culture much more than I think that than the average pew-sitter pew probably connects. I mean this is X-Men. Yeah. I mean oh, this yeah. is comic books right here. Right, is, right. Enhancement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is, in, is enhancement. Um, and what are the – what are the implications of, of that? Have you uh, – I know you're a, you're a Netflix – Netflix junkie, as I recall. Um, mm-hmm. Have you watched any of the uh, episodes of Jessica Jones yet? Oh yeah, we've been have, watching it. Have yeah, you? We've yeah, we wa- watched several. Obviously, episodes. there's some there's some language and sex in there that does not mm-hmm. particularly, I don't think, is helpful. But the the premise, you know, this is this uh, this Netflix original series of uh, essentially of a superhero superheroine that uh, that has PTSD that is forced by. Uh, mind control to do some do something that uh that is that is evil and and so she sorts of turns away from these superhuman abilities and by and large um really interesting perspective oh yeah on that whole transhumanism question yeah it's a, it's a different take altogether you know and i mean it just kind of assumes that there are people with enhanced abilities or unique abilities and and, you know, that these are necessarily steps forward, whereas right. maybe there's steps to the side or even steps backwards in some ways. Right. Um, you know, is evolution, you know, you know, in the universe of Marvel, is, is evolution always progress? Right. And, and maybe not. Right. Right. Well, I think that's a... I think that's a real interesting question and that has lots of implications for the church. Maybe we should talk about that at some point further yeah. down further down the road. But I'm glad you're thinking about that stuff. That's fun. Yeah. Well, our topic for this for this week, by and large, is uh, uh is advent and pastoral care. And and let me tell you what I'm thinking about, and then you can uh you can correct me or ignore me completely or whatever you do. Um Advent is 
uh, is the season that always kind of sneaks up on us in the church. It always kind of uh, makes us, you know, I always feel like Ad- Advent uh, just pops up in December and I'm not quite ready for it. And that, uh, and that that's true for many people, of course. But that this is the season between Thanksgiving and Christmas when people have more compressed family time, more compressed schedules, more events, more things take place than probably any other time of the year. Um, I know for me as a pastor, I'm going to guess that I get 70% of my pastoral care kind of individual pastoral care stuff happens in December and January, something like that. It's a lot. That's for sure. And, um, and, and so I thought it would be worth our while a little bit, at least to talk about how do pastors prepare for this season and then how do pastors survive this season with their faith intact (laughs) and, and uh, and with their own sanity along the way, because um, I I don't know Scott. It, Advent Advent is always the hardest time of year for me, hands down, just no question. Well, I I you know I'm not serving a parish now, but in my parish experiences, um, Advent's hard. Um, I for me Todd and this is just my own pathology speaking sure. I think I think that one of the reasons this time of year has been hard for me is quite honestly the weather you know I yeah. you know now being in the it's California I don't know maybe that will prove to be false maybe I'll you know still have the downs you know the blues and but it seems like um you know the weather around Christmas is dark a lot it's cold you can't go outside that used to be always i'm living in a sunny warm climate now but that was always right. so oppressive right. and then you add to that the extra stress of the holidays and and that did make advent um uh, you know a particularly difficult time in terms of just coping and managing and and staying emotionally healthy right Right. Well, I and that that is not an easy thing. You couple couple that with the fact that anytime you're talking about, let's just say, anytime you're dealing with grief of any kind, mm-hmm. if someone has has had a loss, whether that loss is a death, a divorce, uh, you know, estrangement from a child or from a you know a friend or other relative, whatever it is, that loss is going to be magnified. During during the holidays, during this Thanksgiving Christmas period, and so whatever whatever grief and loss that they have been feeling uh, is usually going to to kind of have a megaphone put on it or a magnifying glass, I guess is is a, is maybe the better better analogy, and and as a as as a pastor, I always feel like. I'm kind of torn between wanting to acknowledge this and acknowledge what the what the challenges are along the way while at the same time I don't I don't want to make it more than it is. I don't want to make it worse than it is or you know kind of kind of create the create the problem that we're trying to uh that we're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's always a tension for me during Advent in, in preaching especially is how do you, how do you acknowledge this in a way that is going to be, 
that is going to kind of help actually be helpful to people and not just and 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 not just sort of bring attention to it so that now that well I wasn't thinking that way pastor but now I am thanks a lot <laughs> yeah that's not helpful well, oh. I think we have to you know I think we have to at least to some extent acknowledge these things you know it is common it's not everybody not everybody feels the same degree of of uh, mental oppression or or difficulty during the holidays as others. Some people struggle more than others, but I think that it's common enough that we we simply have to acknowledge it. We have to mention it in the pulpit, but I don't think we have to mention it every time we get in the pulpit. Um, you know okay. that would be that would be a distinction. I, I that's my view. I, I think we have to mention because I think stuff that gets mentioned in the pulpit. Uh, it can be healing. It can be – to put light on certain things can be healing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We don't want to be creating a vicious circle and causing the problem by talking about it. But uh, I'm of the view that just mentioning it or acknowledging it on occasion isn't isn't overboard. Yeah. Yeah. I can I, I can see that. I, I, yeah. and, and if you look at – if you look at our, our hymnody for Advent and I, and I would argue that in many respects – Advent hymnody is some of the strongest textual hymns that we get during the whole year. Um, and a part of the reason for that, quite honestly, is that uh, you don't hear a lot of uh, Sandy, Sand, Sandy Patty or Amy Grant ditties on Advent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not kind of um, cheekyified. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. It's not. It's yeah. not. Um, it's not trivialized Mm-mm. in pop culture because. By and large, pop culture isn't even conscious that there is such a thing as Advent, far less anything else. Um, and so the so the hymnody in Advent is a little bit more pure and a little bit less schlocky than you're getting getting in other seasons. But the 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 great hymnody in Advent, and I'm thinking of like, Oh Lord, how shall I meet you? Uh, Savior of the nations, come! Uh, oh Savior, rend the heavens wide! I, I mean those. You know, the hymns just keep coming and coming and coming for that. Um, that these hymns are talking about, uh, they talk about loss, they talk about grief, they talk about sorrow, they talk about mourning over sin, which is, um, you know, which is kind of a, a tie in that I will often, often make is that mourning, mourning over loss is another way or another avenue in which we mourn over sin. Even if we don't kind of put it that way, maybe in those sort of in quite that simple term, uh, that's definitely what's what's going on is uh, is that I would not have this loss. I would not have this grief or sorrow if it were not for sin, whatever it may be. And and so again to kind of allow the allow the hymns, the hymns of the church to give voice to uh, to our collective cry is uh, is a hugely powerful thing and and something that we often that we often forget, especially by rushing into Christmas too soon. Frankly, yeah, I think we need. I think we really need to encourage our pastors to let Advent be Advent and let let the focus. You know, it's hard to be schlocky or gimmicky um, when 
the hymns have such a strong eschatological overtone. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we forget Advent has the, the very important major theme of the return of Christ, his second coming. It's not fundamentally or, or, or solely anyway about the coming of Jesus and his nativity, but the coming of, of, of the, you know, the judge of the world. Yeah. Yeah. That this, uh, that and so it's kind of hard I'm sorry, we were we were breaking up there a little bit. Okay, are we good? Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Our, uh, I can hear you fine. Yeah. Okay, we're twenty one, something like okay. that. I just want to make note of note of that to try and uh, see if I can see if I can get that fixed a little bit. Anyway, yeah, that there's this uh, to continue that there is this this eschatological character to it means that Advent is not simply looking backwards at a past event, but mm-hmm. that we look forward to a new heavens and a new earth and well, that and there this, are, is change that is coming. And this ties in real well with what you were saying, mourning over sin and mourning over loss, because it's in that mourning that we start to grasp for the new hope. You know, we grasp for the, the, the new creation and, you know, and pine for it, you know, or, you know, as C.S. Lewis would say, you know, we're nostalgic for the world, um, that we have never seen. <laughs> right. And, right. Uh, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, longing for melodies we've never really heard. And, but we, we know exist. And, you know, the fact that this world doesn't satisfy us, uh, tells us that we're meant for another world. And so you get that, I think, in a lot of these, uh, return of Christ hymns and, and readings, uh, you know, we that the church looks for in our mourning. What what comfort do we have? But to look forward to the new creation when all things are made new and when when the dead are are raised. Um, that you know that that's a theme that is sorely underplayed. I think in in many churches where Advent simply becomes a build up to Christmas only. Right. Right. Well, and thinking very concretely. I can I can think of many many conversations. I'm sure you could too of of uh, of someone coming in. You know, I've been I've been married for uh, 65 years. My husband just died, and this will be our first Christmas apart since since I was 19 years old, or yeah. you know whatever. Right. And and so this person is is focused very much on on the past very much on on loss and and um v- focus very much on their self mm. you know and and I don't mean that in a in a judgmental sense but but simply that that's the reality is that that loss that whole means that they are the one that is they're the ones that are they're the one that's hurt they're the one that is missing they're the one that is in need um and and so that's a perfect example where as a as a pastor my my vocation if you will is to is to teach them to lift up their eyes and to get beyond uh beyond the looking at themselves and their loss and to look at what's coming mm. and that and that that's yeah. not that is not an easy thing I mean, especially if you're talking about uh, years or decades or more of 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 difficulty and and grief and sorrow and and layers of stuff 
that comes out to to lift up your eyes beyond that and even recognize that things can be different, that things can be better and that they not only can be but that they will be, that this is our hope, not just uh, not just a um, – this isn't a, a Christmas wish from a, you know, from a from a crooning voice that you hear mm-hmm. in the elevator somewhere, but that this is a reality. Uh, I I don't know. I think that that's a great opportunity that we have as as pastors, but it's also a great challenge, no doubt. Yeah, and you know, our our culture on on the whole resists this and tries to make everything about the. Um, about that that past experience of you know of childhood innocence and Santa Claus and dreams come true you know there's this there's this false um, hope or this false gospel that that the world right. holds out about about this time of year and it's very attractive and very appealing and a lot of people I think suffer because they don't feel part of it you know they don't right. feel as they don't feel the way they're supposed to feel this time of year. Uh, right. Or the way that they they believe they're supposed to feel because of of you know the version of Christmas that gets um, how they've been conditioned basically yeah exactly they've been conditioned to think about this holy day and the season around it um, and and that's that's kind of too bad and I don't mean to be you know I'm not sort of a culture warrior at Christmas you know nope, so much as but I but I do think that there is something to it that. Um, we become conditioned by the environment to expect to have, you know, uh, perfect childhood memories and uh, a re- and to relive those th- those memories, which may never have been real um, in adulthood. And Christmas is is not necessarily going to be that for everybody. Some people do have very happy memories, and others sure. have actually particularly sad memories about Christmas. Um, and I, one of the things that I did in my parish in Elmhurst was, um, we did a thrust in Advent for, um, battered women and children for, Mm -hmm. um, a a local shelter. And I felt that that was kind of a way to try to help and address people who, for whom Christmas is especially bitter when their family is a place of violence instead of a place of safety. And, that was something we did during Advent. And then we made a big offering at Christmas. Um, you know, our, I love it. Well, our Christmas offering, what, what our offering for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day went entirely to um, a battered, battered women's shelter. And we just kind of pushed that for a month. And, um, and so that was kind of a way to, to, you know, address real human need and, and show mercy, but also to, I think, uh, recognize that for, for a lot of people, this time of year is a really painful time. Hmm. I like that a lot. I, uh, yeah, it is an interesting challenge. I, I keep, I think about this. I mean, we're, we're recording this on the, the day of the eve of Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, which is this sort of inauguration of this holiday season, I guess. Although, I don't know, I suppose for many it starts at Halloween or maybe Columbus Day or Labor Day or Arbor Day. I don't know. But yeah. um, uh, but it, it strikes me that it, with Thanksgiving, but I think that this is also true with Christmas, that people tend toward one of one of two extremes. Either uh, they'll be – I'll call it repristinationists or, or they are going to be um, – well, the repristinationist wants to kind of recreate something, you know, recreate 
the Thanksgiving from 1978 at my at my grandma Artis's house in Julesburg, Colorado, in my instance. Um, you know, that's a Thanksgiving that I can remember quite vividly because I was eight at the time. Um, and, and so you're going to have people that are going to want to try to remake a certain memory or a certain period because that was the pinnacle. And then on the flip side, you're going to have people that want to completely divorce themselves from those memories and are going to want to do something completely different, you know, sort of the un-Thanksgiving and, and so that it will be nothing like that at all. Uh, and, and I find that fascinating that, that, that at least in, in my mind, so many kind of bounce back and forth between those, between those two extremes. So, you know, on the one hand, I'll talk to someone that, yeah, we're having 46 people over for Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, and it's just like when I was a kid. And then in the next conversation, it'll be the, yeah, we always go way up into the mountains and order frozen pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and right. go see and it's movie. like there's nothing in between. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are the two. And, and I find that very – I find that very curious on why why do we why do we gravitate toward these extremes, and what does it uh, what does it say about us as a people? I don't know. It's it's some it's some interesting times that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, so what are you doing your midweek series on? Anything particular? Well, it's funny you should it's funny you should mention that because as I said at the uh, at the beginning, uh, that Advent always sneaks up on me. That's what I'm figuring out this morning, Scott. Oh, good, good. good. <laughs> so, um, I'm sure it will be wonderful, and that I will, uh, I will, uh, I will beg, borrow, or uh, grab it from somebody else. But that's what I'm doing this morning because it just uh, this this season always just grabs me at the last minute, and I turn around and it's like, oh, hmm, there it is. So, uh, so we'll find out. Well, I'm just glad to know that I wasn't the only one that was doing it that way and you know I, I really don't like doing it that way not no, only for I, myself yeah. but especially for my musicians I have such an amazing cast and cast of musicians uh, that uh, I I really really want to give them the material as far ahead as a time as I can and I'm just not there this year which, yeah. which irritates me to no end but it happens. Life goes what on. What are you going to do? Right. You know, I actually found Lent a little bit harder to get hold of because the date snuck up. That was when the date stuck up on me, snuck yeah. up on me. Because, yeah. You know, at least Christmas and Advent, you kind of know, I mean, it's, it's pretty regular. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, it's right. But, you know, you might have a, you, right. You might have a short, a relatively short period of time between Epiphany and the beginning of Lent. Um, and, uh, you know, other times you've got more, you've got more time before, you know, you have to try and get that figured out. So I always found Lent to be a little harder to get yeah. done in advance, but yeah, I'm with you. I've been there for sure. Hmm. But, uh, in the, in the words of the uh, scriptures, the Lord will provide, it will be, yes. it will be fine. I have no yes. doubts. I think we've, uh, tackled this topic enough for today, at least. Okay. Uh, you can find our show notes at the crux of the matter.net slash podcast slash 44. And I would invite you to do so. If you have any uh, particular insights on pastoral care and the season of Advent and 
anything else you'd like to uh, either agree with or take umbrage with that we talked about today, uh, please contact us at the, at feedback at the crux of the matter dot net or you can use our contact page on our website or find us on Twitter or Facebook or wherever else uh, uh, fine pastors may be gathered on the internets. You can probably find one of us there. But that's a, that's a good thing indeed. So, Scott, what's bringing you joy, pray tell? Well, um, this is going to be totally different than anything we've been doing the last 20 minutes. But um, <laughs> Then that's okay. So is mine. <clears throat> yeah. Well, the last time we had our recording, uh, we talked – I mentioned that my joy bringer was a book I had just read called Occult America, Occult America. And it dealt with, you know, Freemasonry and, um, you know, all the, you know, theosophy and new, new thought and, and right. uh, mind science and all that kind of stuff in America. Well, kind of along that line, I'm reading a book now called Deliver Us from Evil. And um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a fascinating read. It's by a guy named, oh, I forget his name. His last name is Sarchi. He's a, um, I'm looking him up and his first name is Ralph Sarchi. And he's a, a former New York City police detective who was an atheist until he came across a case that had involved demonic possession. Hmm. Um, and then he became a Roman Catholic because the Catholic Church advised him through that case. And then he started up a, a special unit at the NYPD to just sort of investigate occult crimes. And it's, 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 um, it's a book basically of his true experiences. Every once in a while, I kind of do a, you know, John Dreyer and kind of want to become sort of a, an exorcist or, you know, an occultist right. expert. You know, John Warwick Montgomery has a huge uh, library of occult literature. And, and so once in a while, I like to try and channel those two guys. Sure. And, um, and, and just kind of read up on, on some, some of these themes. And um, this particular one caught my interest because the book was made into a film by a Christian movie maker whom I kind of like named Scott Derrickson. And he makes scary movies, but he's an evangelical Christian. And he does, so when he makes scary movies, he always has like a faith element, you know, God, con good conquering evil, God conquering the devil. And What's the name so, of the movie? Uh, Deliver Us from Evil. Okay, so it's the same title. Yeah, it's the same title. Actually, they changed the book title. The book title originally was Beware the Nine. And they, the new edition, the paperback, the new paperback gotcha. edition of the book, they change Matches it to match the movie. the movie. Right, exactly. Okay. But, um, but it's, it's, you know, once in a while. So I've got a, f I've got a few books on my shelf, Malachi Martin and a few other oh, books yeah. about, right, about um, uh, occultism and, and demonic possession. And, and when do I get to read those except for during holidays? So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I love it. Man, I haven't read any Malachi Martin for a long time. I think that you right. hooked me up on him probably 10 years ago or something like that. It's been that a long be. time. Is he still right. writing? Is he still alive? You um, know? I think he might still be alive. I don't know. I'm not aware of any new books that have come out from him. He's written novels and he's written oh, yeah. uh, nonfiction. He's got this – if anyone's interested, he's got this great book called Hostage to the Devil yep. Um, yep. in which he, he, he recounts certain uh, you know, uh, purportedly true stories and, and – um, uh, it, it's it's a little frank. I mean, it's got it's got some bad language, so one would want to be careful about just reading that for your book club necessarily. Gotcha. PG thirteen uh, book. Yeah, or something. yeah, absolutely. But you know, once in a while, I think it's kind of 
is kind of intriguing and and, um, and and not not just intriguing out of curiosity's sake, but um, because this is part of the history of the church and part of the life of the church is to is to d- destroy the work of the devil. Hmm. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Well, just as your topic was totally different from our main topic, so my to- my joy bringer is totally different from your topic and our main topic. Great. Um, and that is my uh, my joy bringer is called the Merry Old Christmas Carolers. Oh, <laughs> now, nice. what pray tell is the Merry Old Christmas car- Carolers? Well, I'm going to tell you it is the the oldest uh, continuously uh, operating uh, professional Victorian Christmas Caroler group in the United States. They're based out of out of San Francisco, out of the Bay Area. And and so they have, hmm, I'm going to say over over a hundred uh, singers that go out in quartets in Victorian costumes and go to malls, go to parties, go to you know whatever things that they're hired to do and go and sing and sing Christmas carols. And um, the 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 music that they sing kind of uh, lends toward the slightly absurd. They're, uh, you know, much more the secular, although there definitely is some Christian elements to it, but a lot of Rudolph and and that sort of thing. Um, But uh, my wife, Catherine, and I, and and this year, my daughter also, uh, all sing with this group called the Mariel Christmas Carolers. And uh, and, uh, about three, four years ago, they started a Sacramento chapter. And so and so Catherine, especially, and I have been singing with that group. Uh, for I think this is our third season, maybe even fourth season, and uh, and it is really ridiculous fun. Um, it's basically an excuse for me to uh, get out of my office to get to do something that I I otherwise would not do, especially during Christmas time, um, and that is go wander around a mall for four hours. Uh, and uh, and sing a bunch of really hard but really uh, just funny, entertaining music. Um, it's completely ridiculous. Basically, uh, Catherine and I fund all of our Christmas presents by uh, by doing this caroling. So I'll be doing that for uh, for a few weekends in between all of the church stuff coming up here. So does the mall remunerate you for your yeah yeah time? yeah? So as I said, it's a professional group, and mm-hmm. so they they have agents. And, uh, you know, we had to audition to get into it and, you know, all kinds of contracts and paperwork and stuff. And uh, and then all of the mall or these different – any kind of organizations out here in California, we end up doing a lot of uh, uh, several like parties for wineries. Wineries nice. will have a will have a Christmas dinner for their members, and we'll uh, and we'll go and and sing for half an hour for them or something like that. That sort of thing, and it's really a lot of fun, and it's totally yeah, it ridiculous. Awesome. Oh so, no, it sounds awesome. I I I envy you. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, and and the thing that is good for me is that it is a total distraction from it's it's using a different part of my brain, you know, my musician brain. And it gets me on my feet because mm. I'm a fairly sedentary person by nature anyways. And so yeah. walking around for three, four hours is um, – that is work for me at least. And uh, and so all of those things mean that it's a good it, – it actually is a very helpful discipline for me. So Now, how do, how do the mall people uh, interact with you? Um, well, you know, it's funny. We're just – I mean I'm sure you've had this experience where you're just walking mm. around in a mall and – 
in a corner there's going to be a group of people singing and uh yeah, and sometimes right, right. it'll be a a larger group and some malls they'll have a you know a stage set up basically what we do is it's always a quartet so there's just four of us and we will just stand in one place we'll sing two or three pieces and then we'll walk down the down the way for 100 yards and then sing a little bit more and if there's a a large crowd of people that gather or if somebody makes a request we may stop and sing that or you know and we just kind of wander around for three four hours it's awesome yeah it's it's a lot of fun totally different um this is this is stuff that i would by and large never ever 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 want to have in church Mm -hmm. sure Uh, but I am totally fine with Frosty and Rudolph and jolly old St. Nick as long as we're not pretending that that's Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Right. It's, it's, it's fine in a mall. It's fine in a mall. It's all a matter of context. So, yeah. so that's right. what I will be doing for off and on for the, next, for the next few weeks, something like that. Cool. Yeah. So great fun. Anything else that you want to uh, mention to our dear listeners today, Scott? Uh, No, I think that we've covered everything. Awesome. Everything has been covered. Your advent is now complete and we will will continue from there. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will see you next time. Goodbye.